It'll be worth it. Go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 8. We're working our way through this grand and glorious book. There's a special thing that happens between a pastor and his congregation. God just uh, puts a special love in a pastor's heart for his people and hopefully uh, vice versa. Uh, but I had one dear saint uh, come up to me this morning and he said, I need you to keep it short and sweet today because I got an appointment with somebody important. I said, really? He said, yeah, Colonel. I said, who's that? He said, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> and I won't mention any names, but his initials are Bobby Wright. <laughs> Mess with me. He, and somebody else said, we'll put a clock up there behind you. You mess with me, I'll take that clock down and put a calendar up. <laughs> Used to know an evangelist, he would preach for hours at a time. And they said, that fella, he don't preach by the clock, he preaches by the calendar. <laughs> I'll get you out of here before Monday, I promise. And the colonel, he'll leave the light on for you. There'll still be some chicken for you. <laughs> you know I'm kidding, I love Bobby Wright. He's, he's a good fella. All right. Daniel chapter 8, we're going to be talking about the ram and the he-goat today. And I know that's probably something you all read in your devotions before bedtime. Uh, you read about the ram and the he-goat. And I struggled earlier in the week. I thought, God, how am I going to take this and give us something practical to take home? But I believe he's going to give that to us today uh, if you'll just stay with me. And I promise you, if you'll pay attention to God's word, you won't get bored today. Uh, God will hold your attention by the Holy Spirit. He'll work in, in spite of me. So let's just pray to that end right now. Father in heaven, as we open up the bread of life, God, and we just worship you and adore you, and we just uh, thank you that your, your book is the instructions, uh, the manual for how to get from earth to heaven. And uh, we thank you that you didn't leave us without knowledge of your will. Your will has been revealed to us, and God, you have shown us human history even before it happens. History is your story. And Lord, I ask that you'd help me to preach your word today, to stay out of the way, God, not to be cute, but God, just to preach the infallible word of God. And I acknowledge my weakness, and I ask for your strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin reading in verses uh, 1 and, and 2. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in a vision, and it came to pass when I saw that I was at Shushan in the palace. Some translations will say Susa, same place. Which is in the province of Elam. That's, that's uh, modern day Iran, Persia. And I saw in a vision, and I was by the river of Ulai. Let's go to the first slide. <clears throat> and in these first two verses, we've got the historic background. Now, if you'll notice... Uh, you probably don't have a, a copy of the original manuscript. You've got a translation in your hand. Uh, but, it, but if you had the original manuscripts, you would know that after chapter 7, the language switches from Aramaic back to Hebrew. And Daniel wrote the book of Daniel in two languages, in Hebrew and in Aramaic. The chapters 2 through 7 deal with that period of time we commonly refer to as the times of the Gentiles. They outline the world empires, the, the, uh, the domination of Gentile empires. This is a clue to us now that what we're going to see in the subsequent chapters is going to deal with the nation of Israel. That's why the language shifts back to Hebrew. Okay? So we see the chronology also that 
This is, we're not going in chronological, the book of Daniel doesn't go in chronological order. Chapter 7 and 8 actually happened before chapter 5. If you remember chapter 5, that's when Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall, and that night the empire fell. And, uh, and Cyrus, King Darius, uh, entered in and destroyed and killed Belshazzar. So this is when this takes place. Now this is significant because what we realize from these clues is that God is transporting Daniel into the future. He sees the future. How many of you believe God knows the future before it happens? It don't take him by surprise. It takes us by surprise, not God. And so he's transported, just like John was transported in the book of Revelation. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and that doesn't mean Sunday. He was in the Spirit on the day of the Lord. He saw the tribulation period, the coming of Christ, the coming kingdom of God. He was transported into, into our day. And it must have blown John's mind. You know, just, he's never seen an automobile or, or technology. The, the light bulb had not even been invented, let alone uh, the automobile or, or airplanes. So Daniel goes into the future, and he sees uh, Susa or Shushan, which would be the future capital of the Persian Empire. You read about that in the book of uh, Nehemiah and Esther. They both speak of Shushan the palace. And King uh, Ahasuerus, or however you pronounce it, Xerxes is... Is how it's commonly referred to now. But we see that's the background of the vision. Let's go to the next slide. And we come to the ram. Then I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before me a ram, the river a ram, which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. Now, God has not left us in the dark as to who the ram and the he goat are. I'm thankful that God didn't leave us to, to guess or to speculate who they are. Uh, the, the angel Gabriel is clearly going to tell us who they are in a few verses, but I'll go ahead and give you a, a sneak preview. The ram corresponds to Persia, the Medes and the Persians. Now, this corresponds with Nebuchadnezzar's vision and Daniel's dream. In Nebuchadnezzar's vision in chapter 2, he saw the colossal image of the various metals. There was the head of gold. Then there was the, uh, the chest and the arms of silver. That represent Medo-Persia, the two empires. If you remember in Daniel's dream... He saw four beasts. The first was the lion with wings. That was Babylon. The second beast that he saw was a bear. And if you remember, the bear was raised up on one side. Remember that? He had the three ribs in his mouth. He was raised up in one side. The horn is a symbol of authority or power. And, and, and just like it was in the bear vision, so it is in the ram. One of the horns is higher than the other. The, one, the higher one came up last. And we know from history that it was Darius the Medes. The Medes came up first. Uh, the Medes actually helped the Babylonians conquer the Assyrians. They were an empire before the Persians. But the Persian Empire became the dominant empire. If you read a history book, they don't talk about Medo-Persia. They'll speak of the Persian Empire, but not Medo-Persia. And so the Persian Empire becomes the dominant, uh, dominant empire there. And it speaks of the directions of his conquest in verse 4. He said, I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward. You notice there's one direction they left out, east. It's because the Persian Empire made no significant advance to the east. No beast could stand before him. This is Cyrus. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. And he was called Cyrus the Great, by the way. But Cyrus, he had this mighty empire, and he defeated people by sheer numbers, his armies, uh, a lot of times they conquered without even having to, uh, to engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Like Babylon, it fell without a 
fight, really. They, they dammed up the Euphrates River and conquered uh, Babylon. Cyrus was predicted. By the way, Cyrus was predicted by Isaiah nearly 100 years before he was even born and called by name. And this must have really impressed Cyrus because he eventually, uh, you can read about that 2 Chronicles 36, 22, Ezra 1, verses 1 through 8, and Isaiah 44, 28, and Isaiah 45, verse 1. And I say that for the benefit of those who are listening and don't have the visual here. I learned that from my days in radio. Not everybody can see what you see. And there'll be people listening to this on the uh, FM transmitter, and we welcome those who are listening, by the way, on FM transmitter or Facebook or by CD. However you're getting the message, uh, we greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus. But Cyrus actually gave permission to the Jews to go back to their land and rebuild the city and the wall. He, he also gave them the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had captured. He, he sent those back uh, to to Israel. Let's go to the next slide. The he goat, verse 5. And as I was considering, behold, as an he goat, or a male goat, came from the west on the face of the whole earth. Notice the direction. He comes from the west. Greece is west of uh, Persia. <clears throat> and touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn, or a prominent horn, some translations will say, between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with choler against him, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him. And there was none that would deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore the he-goat waxed very great. That word great is, is important here too, we'll see. He waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken. For out of it came up four notable horns, notable ones, toward the four winds of heaven. Okay? Now this he-goat corresponds with the third kingdom. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, it was the, uh, the thighs of uh, brass. And in uh, Daniel's dream, in chapter 7, remember it was a leopard, had wings, and four heads. You remember that? A picture that we had. And this speaks, the leopard speaks of the swiftness of the conquest. This, this he-goat, the notable horn, is the Grecian Empire. And the, the, uh, the goat with the notable horn is none other than Alexander the Great. His father was Philip of Macedon. Philip was assassinated. Some believe that his wife uh, had him assassinated. And I know every married person in here thinks that's preposterous. Right? They asked Billy Graham's wife, did you ever think of divorce? And she said, no, but I did think of murder a few times. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Alexander, his son, came up in his place. He was 20 years old. Why are y'all laughing at that? It's not funny. Alexander came up in his place. He was 20 years old. And by the time Alexander uh, was, was 32 years old, he had conquered the known world. He had expanded far beyond even what the Persian Empire did. He had, he had gone so far as into India, and, and his troops, actually, once they got to India, they were so tired and exhausted, they said, we're not going any farther. And Alexander, uh, there's a legend that's told. I don't know if it's true. You know how things can, can grow over time. But I'm told that when Alexander was 32 years old, that he, he fell upon his bed crying, 
because there was no worlds left for him to conquer. Now, can you imagine that? But if you remember from Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, Daniel's dream, the Bible says dominion was given unto Alexander. As great as he was, he was given his dominion by God Almighty. And he actually was uh, responsible for uh, Hellenizing the world. Hellenizing just means expansion of the Greek culture. He had a tutor by the name of Aristotle. Anybody ever heard of him? And, uh, and Alexander became so enamored with Greek culture that he became bent on Hellenizing the whole world. That's why the Old Testament was eventually written in Greek in the Septuagint by 70 scholars uh, in Alexandria. And also, that's the reason New Testament times, people spoke Greek. That's why the New Testament was written in Greek. It's, the, it's a very precise language, much more so than English. And, uh, and, and so the influence of, of Alexander lives with us to this day in the, uh, the study. That's why if you go to a seminary to study the Bible, you'll be trained in studying original languages, Hebrew uh, and Greek. And I've been having to brush up on my Aramaic lately, and I'm glad that's over with. <laughs> Aramaic's similar to Hebrew, but not, you know, not exactly. Now, the thing about uh, Alexander, though, is he died young. Most people believe he died from alcoholism. Uh, there are some intriguing stories that maybe he was poisoned, but, but he was known for his debauchery, and he died. And when he died, he had no heir, but his, when he died... They said, who do we give the kingdom to? And Alexander is quoted as saying, give it to the strong. So you can imagine how that next staff meeting went when they, <laughs> when they were trying to figure out who's going to be in charge. But, but it was divided among four generals. And we'll talk more about them in just a moment. All right, let's go to the next slide. And then we get to verse 9. And out of one of them came forth a little horn which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. That's an idiom for the land of Israel. I, I don't have time to go into all that. You just have to trust me. If you don't believe it, search it for yourself. But that's an idiom for Israel. The pleasant land. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. That's also an idiom of Israel. If you remember, uh, Joseph saw a dream and he saw the stars, the moon and the stars. Stars are all an idiom for the children of Israel. And the host of heaven is also a, an idiom for the armies of Israel. He stamped upon him, verse 11, yet he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. That, that's the high priest. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away and the place of the sanctuary was cast down. And a host was given to him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. And it cast down truth to the ground and it practiced and prospered. Then I heard one saint, some translations will say a holy one, some translations will say angel. And I think it's probably angel will be a, a better translation because you'll see there's uh, Gabriel and another angel who's talking. And one saint speaking and another saint or holy one said unto the certain saint which spake, How long shall the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, Under 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. All right. Now, this is one of the more complex of, of the, uh, the exegesis here. There's four, uh, there's four, king, four generals, Cassander, Lysimachus, uh, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. And out of one of these four generals, his, his name was Seleucus, 
uh, came a Seleucid king, and his name was Antiochus IV. Uh, he, he, he gave himself a moniker, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, and it means excuse me, Antiochus God Manifest. Talk about an ego trip. He even had uh, coins printed up, Theos uh, Epiphanes. He was God, God Manifest. The guy was a real piece of work. And uh, he killed many Jews. Uh, one thing I want to uh, emphasize right here from the outset. This is not the same little horn as the little horn of Daniel 7. And a lot of people get confused about this. They see little horn and they say, oh, that's the same guy that's talked about in chapter 7. It's not. And I'll tell you a number of reasons why. But, but here's one of the main reasons. The little horn of Daniel chapter 7, he comes out of a ten-horn confederacy. He comes out of ten nations. This little horn comes out of four. Do you see that in your Bible? That's, he's coming out of the third empire, the Greek empire. The other little horn comes out of the revived Roman empire. And that's a significant detail, but you, but you need to pay attention to that. Now, Antiochus, one of the things, and you can read about it, I'm not going to preach out of it, but there's a historical book called 1 Maccabees and 2 Maccabees. It's not inspired, not part of the Word of God, and it does not belong in the canon of Scripture. But it outlines the history of the period of Antiochus Epiphanes and some of the atrocities that he did. Um, he, he, he did all kinds of terrible things. He forbade the keeping of uh, circumcision, Jewish rites. He burned copies of the Torah, which is the law, the law of Moses. Uh, he did an unthinkable thing. He sacrificed a pig on the altar in the Holy of Holies and sprayed the blood everywhere throughout the temple. And uh, if, if a woman, this is not in my slides here, but just to show you how graphic this guy was, if he caught a woman circumcising her son, he, and they were circumcised on the eighth day, according to Jewish you know, law, he would kill the baby and then tie the baby around the mother's neck and march her off the precipice of a cliff for a whole world to see. That's how bad this guy was. Um, there was a man that rose up in those days. He was a faithful priest called Mattathias. And he led what became known as the Maccabean Revolt. He had a son named um, uh, Judas Maccabeus. And his name in Hebrew means the hammer. What a cool name. Remember Greg Valentine? Some of y'all are laughing and nodding your head because you remember those good old days of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. The Boogie Woogie Man. That's back when they wrestled. They just talk now. But back in the day, they wrestled. And my papa was convinced it was real. Don't ever try to convince him otherwise. He, he'd almost have a heart attack watching wrestling. He'd be so into it. But uh, the hammer, that's what he became known as. I got to get this thing back on track so I can get Bobby to the colonel on time. Okay. <laughs> uh, we know that this is a historical fact because every December, the Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah. Hanukkah is called the Feast of Dedication. And it, uh, it outlines the time when Judas Maccabeus and his revolt, when they cleansed the temple and they defeated Antiochus Epiphanes. And for eight days, uh, they, they rededicated. It was kind of a mimic of the Feast of Tabernacles, but celebrated three months later. And there's all kind of myths and legends about Hanukkah, you know, the light burning for eight days. None of that can be corroborated by Scripture, but we do know that uh, there was a feast of dedication. And Jesus attended the feast of dedication. Have you ever read that in the Gospels? Jesus attended the feast of dedication. Okay, next slide. Now we get to the interpretation. And it came to pass, verse 15, 
When I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning, then behold, there stood before me the appearance of a man. That's, I'm going to make a, a little point of emphasis here. I'm going to dispel some of our myths about angels. And don't get mad at me. Let's, we'll still be friends. Okay. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. We're not told who this other voice was. Perhaps it's Michael. I don't know. We'll see him later on, uh, his name. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. That son of man just means he's a human. He's, don't, don't confuse that with Jesus, uh, the, the messianic title there. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground. But he touched me and sat upright, set me upright. And he said, Behold, I will make you know what shall be in the last end of the indignation. Key phrase there. For at the time appointed, the end shall be. Again, key phrase. The ram which you saw having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. And the rough goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Aren't you glad God didn't, we didn't need a decoder ring for this one? God just told us who it was. You know, we didn't have to say, I wonder who the, who the goat is. I wonder who the ram is. God said, I'm just going to tell you, we'll just, this is an open book quiz. We'll just skip right to the answer. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, now that being broken, verse 22, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause, uh, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore, shut up thou the vision, for it shall be for many days. And I'll stop there. So now we get to the interpretation. And first of all, we see the appearance of Gabriel. He has the appearance of a man. Whenever you see angels in the Bible, they appear as young men. Always. They don't appear with wings. Now, in Daniel chapter 9, it says that Gabriel, he flew, but the Bible does not say he had wings. The Bible never says that angels have wings. The Bible does say that we need to be uh, careful to entertain strangers because if we may be entertaining angels unaware. So that means an angel could take us by surprise, right? Is that the way it reads to you? So if some dude comes in the room today and he's got wings, is that going to take you by surprise? Are you going to say, I wonder who this is? Now you'll be like, that's an angel. That's, that's, that's what that is. See, we have so many myths and things that are not in Scripture that we just accept. And the Bible never shows any female angels. The Bible speaks of the sons of God. And I don't have time to go down that rabbit trail <laughs> this morning. But he, but he had a man's voice. Angel, uh, Gabriel gives the, the interpretation uh, in the time. The time is when? At the end. It's not at the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. A lot of people get this confused. Uh, in verse 19, he said it shall be at the end. Now in verse 20, we see the interpretation of the ram. 
is Medo-Persia. And then in verse 21, we get the interpretation of, of the, uh, the goat. It's Greece. And who is the, who is the notable horn? He's the first king. Who is, and who is that guy? Alexander the Great. Good, guy, good job, guys. Good job. Alexander the Great. In verse 22, he speaks of the successors. He says, now that being broken, where is four stood up for it? Four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation. What nation? Greece. Not Rome. Not Rome. Greece. Are we, are we keeping these things separate? The little horn of seven is not the little horn of eight. He stands up and he says he shall not be in his power. In other words, he's not as great as Alexander. Would you agree with that? This can't be the Antichrist because the Antichrist in Revelation 13, he makes the whole world worship him. So this can't be Antiochus Epiphanes. This is not uh, referring to him. Not in, not in his power. All right. So we see Alexander and we see the, the divisions. Now I gave you a little acronym here, CLASP, to remember the names of the four generals. And there's no A. I supplied that just like the italics in your Bible. <laughs> I supplied that for you to help you remember a little mnemonic device. Cassander, Lysimachus, uh, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. By the way, Ptolemy is credited with the first lighthouse. Watch the documentary on him. Pretty cool stuff. Um, anyway, let's go to the next slide. We're moving right along. Now, Epiphanes, he is a type of Antichrist. 1 John 2.18. John says this, little children, it is the last time. People say, are we living in the last days? Well, John said we were 2,000 years ago. We're not living in the last days. We're living in the last of the last days. We're not looking for the signs of the times. We're living in the times of the signs. We're living in that time that Daniel saw, that John saw. He says, and, and as you have heard, Antichrist, everybody say this together, shall come. Now he wrote this after Antiochus Epiphanes was dead and gone. He was still looking for Antichrist to come. So Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV, is not the little horn of Daniel chapter 7. Jesus saw the abomination of desolation. Now, what Antiochus did when he sacrificed, he set up an altar to Zeus or Jupiter, and he sacrificed that pig. And when he did that, it was referred to as an abomination of desolation. Okay? It's an abominable thing to sacrifice a pig. You know, it's an unclean animal to the Jews. However, long after he's dead and gone, and, I, and I'm belaboring the point here, <laughs> Long after he's dead and gone, Jesus Christ says in Matthew 24, 15, when you therefore shall see, in other words, it's in the future, shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by who? Daniel. You say, well, can I believe that Daniel is true? Jesus believed him. And if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Amen. He said, Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso reads, let him understand. So notice Matthew in his gospel, he takes it for granted that you and I have read the book of Daniel. Aren't you glad I'm preaching through Daniel? I'm taking that off of you. You ought to be appreciative. I was just kidding, but, but you know. <laughs> Antiochus Epiphanes was a type of Antichrist. He was not... Antichrist. He's a type. The Bible's full of types and shadows. Types and shadows. He was the, the type, but he's not the substance. There's still coming an Antichrist 
in the future. Revelation 13 speaks of this also. Next slide. You'll be happy to know we're almost done. Now the Antichrist, the Bible describes him. Here's another name for Antichrist. It says he's the king of fierce countenance. In verse 23. There's 14 things spoken of. We'll just run through, through, through some of these here. He's a king of fierce countenance. He's unlike anything that's ever come before. Now, Adolf Hitler was also a type of Christ. Adolf Hitler killed about 6 million Jews. But guess what? Adolf Hitler was not the Antichrist. He died. He was not thrown into the lake of fire, at least not yet. The Antichrist will be destroyed by Jesus himself. So you take Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, Antiochus, roll them all up in a big ball, put them in a blender, shake it up, and you'll get something that looks a little bit like Antichrist. He's going to be a king of fierce countenance. And notice it says he understands dark sentences. Now, this ought, this ought to pique your interest. Because in Daniel chapter 5, remember Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, uh, Belshazzar. Belshazzar, he could not interpret the writing on the wall. And so he called for the magicians and the astrologers, and they could not uh, understand what the, the sentence was. But remember what the queen mother said? She said, there's a guy in your kingdom, Belshazzar, and in, in him is the spirit of the holy gods. That's her way of you know, expressing in her little polytheistic, uh, limited understanding. He's got the spirit of God in him. And it says, this Daniel, he can dissolve doubts, and he can uh, understand, and here's this phrase, dark sentences. This is significant. Daniel was able to understand, and in, in the Aramaic and the Hebrew, that word dark sentences, it means to, like a riddle is untying a knot. Daniel was able to do that by the Spirit of God. It was, Daniel said it wasn't within himself to interpret the dream. Joseph said something very similar. The interpretation belongs to God. The Spirit of God energized Daniel. Guess who energizes Antichrist? Satan. The Bible says in Revelation 13 that the dragon gave him his power and his authority. He's no ordinary person. He is the son of Satan. He makes claims to deity. Well, I'll keep going through here. You, you can read. But he, uh, he destroys wonderfully. That word implies miracles. The Antichrist will have miraculous power. He shall prosper. That, uh, you know, if, if, if there's a world dictator that could come out and, and come up with a way for us all to have prosperity, you know the whole world would worship them because the love of money is the root of all evil. This guy will come on the scene with all the answers. I believe that all of our doubts about the end times, you know there's a lot of stuff we can't understand. How is the temple going to be rebuilt? How are these ten nations going to come together? I believe that the rapture of the church is going to devastate the world. It's going to devastate the world's economy. Think about it. Think about it. All of the Christians in the world, gone, in a moment of time. We're not talking about over a period of years. Gone instantly. Planes falling out of the skies. Unmanned vehicles. The world is going to be in chaos. And they're going to look for somebody that's got the answers. And this guy will rise out of those ten nations. And he will be the son of Satan. He shall destroy wonderfully. He shall prosper. He shall practice. He'll, do his, he'll be willful. He shall destroy the mighty. That's the Jewish leaders. And the holy people. That's the Jewish people. He will, in the Holocaust, first, first Holocaust, one out of every three Jews was killed. Uh, Zechariah says in the tribulation period, two out of every three Jews will be killed. Terrible time. 
Zechariah chapter 12, I think is where that's found. He shall destroy the holy people. Through his policy, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. He'll be a genius. He will be a military uh, and a financial genius. So that pretty much excludes any of our government leaders as being qualified for the Antichrist. All right. Listen, I'm talking about both parties, y'all. Don't get inside. Oh, I know what he's talking about. <laughs> They're all a bunch of crooks. <clears throat> he shall prosper in practice. He shall destroy through his policy. He shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says that the Antichrist will go into the temple. He will declare himself to be God. In the rebuilt temple, he will declare himself to be God. And it says, by peace, he shall destroy many. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, when they shall say peace and safety, then comes sudden destruction upon them, and they shall not escape. He's going to promise them security and safety. But when he does that, calamity is right behind. By peace, he will destroy many. He shall stand up against the prince of princes. Now, Antiochus never did that. Hitler never did that. He did it in word and deed. But this guy is going to have a particular hatred for Jesus Christ. He's got, if you remember from Revelation 13, that beast had ten horns, ten crowns, and on those crowns was named blasphemy. This guy is going to blaspheme God. He's going to have a hatred for God like nobody we've ever seen. But I got bad news for him. Because <laughs> the Bible says he will be broken without hand at the end of verse 25. Now, Antiochus Epiphanes, he was defeated by... The Maccabean revolt, the hammer. He was defeated by human hands. But you remember in Nebuchadnezzar's vision, he saw those four empires. There was four empires, but then there was a fifth kingdom. And he said it was represented by a stone cut without hands. And that stone came and smashed the ten toes, which represents the last empire. He smashed the last empire. It was broken into pieces. It grew into a, a, a mountain, and it filled the whole earth. Daniel saw it this way in Daniel chapter 7. After the fourth beast, he saw the Son of Man coming unto the Ancient of Days. And it was given unto him the kingdom and the power and the glory. And he came in the clouds of heaven. And he came to rule and reign on the earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. And when Jesus Christ comes to the earth, he won't have to fire a shot to kill the Antichrist. The Bible says that the Antichrist will be destroyed by the breath of his mouth. Glory to God. And by the brightness of his coming. Watch out, coming soon to planet earth. Oh yeah, Antichrist is going to come first. But Jesus Christ is coming in great power and great glory. And the Bible says every eye will see him and even those that pierced him. And all the earth will mourn because of him. And if I read my Bible correctly, when he comes, we come with him. <laughs> we come with him, hallelujah. Last slide. No, this is not the last. This is the next to last. <laughs> the affirmation. The affirmation. It says the, the, uh, the prophecies about Antiochus. Remember they said, how long, Lord? And he said the 2,300 days. That was six years. Six years. Evening, mornings. It talks about. Uh, the prophecies about Antiochus Epiphanes were fulfilled in precise detail. That's why every year we have a reminder of Hanukkah that Daniel's prophecy came to pass. Glory to God. Every year when Hanukkah is observed, we know that God's word came to pass. Daniel prophesied that way back hundreds of years before it ever happened. 
You can know that God's word is true. Somebody asked a Jewish person, he says, uh, what happens whenever uh, Gentiles try to wipe out the Jewish people? He said, every time it happens, there's a feast. When Pharaoh tried to kill the, uh, the Israelites, the feast of Passover was instituted. When Haman tried to kill the Jews, the feast of Purim was uh, instituted. And when Antiochus tried to, to destroy the Jews, what happened? There was another feast, Hanukkah, or the feast of dedication, if you prefer, the biblical nomenclature. History is his story. God's on the throne. He's in control. Everything that God said up until now has come to pass. Now, Nostradamus, folks, don't waste your time. He, he, Nostradamus is not a prophet of God. He's got all these obscure things. And everybody that's, that's ever prophesied anything trying to predict the future, they've got it wrong. They've all got it wrong. But guess what? God's got a 100% accuracy rate. God's word, prophecy, this is important. Prophecy is not fulfilled approximately like horseshoes. You know, you just get close to the stop. Prophecy is fulfilled precisely as God ordained it. And that's what's going to happen with the coming of Christ. Daniel was told to shut up the vision, preserve it. And here we are. Aren't you glad he preserved it? We're not left in the dark. Let's go to the last slide. Bobby's got an appointment with the colonel. <laughs> the application. What's all this ram and he goat stuff got to do with me? I'm glad you asked. When Daniel saw this vision, the Bible says he fainted and it says he was sick for days. So I think a lot of us, we approach prophecy with a, uh, a curiosity, don't we? We want to know about the future. We want to know, and, and preachers especially, we want to get up and teach everybody all the facts about the Bible, everything that we know. Listen, I don't know half of anything. My knowledge will fit, you know, on the top of a pinhead. Daniel, when he saw all of this stuff, he, he saw his people being deeply afflicted. He saw what Antiochus was going to do. And I believe he saw what Antichrist is going to do. How he's going to annihilate and exterminate his people. And Daniel didn't say, oh great, I'm going to go on tour and tell everybody what I know about Bible prophecy. No, it says he was sick. He was physically sick. I, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I want to tell you this. The past month or so, since I have been preaching through the book of Daniel, I've experienced things that just defy logic. In my mind, I've had trouble in dreams. I've, had, I've just had unusual uh, things going on. And I don't want to belabor the point. But, but Daniel, he was sick. I want to ask you this. When you hear about what's going to happen in, this, in the coming weeks, months, years, I don't know. Only God knows, right? We're not here to set dates. Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. It may not be in my lifetime. I believe it will be. It might not be. But what if it happens in your children's lifetime? What if the Antichrist comes on the scene in your grandchildren's lifetime? And they don't know Jesus Christ. And he's going to wipe out the whole world. He's going to implement a system. Listen, folks, we are moving rapidly to a one-world government, a cashless society. I believe we're not, we're not even a decade away from that, I believe. There's going to be a push to get away from cash. And when, when they do that, you'll know that the Antichrist is getting his system in place. And he said that unless a person receives the mark in their hand or in their head, that they will not be able to buy or sell. And you say, well, I'm a tough guy. I can... I can live off the land okay 
What about your baby that's crying and needs food? What about your, what about your children? You're going to have to watch them die and suffer. This ought to move us to a sense of urgency. If you have unsaved loved ones, I'm going to ask you to do something in the altar this morning. I haven't asked you to do this in a long time. But as many of you as will, when the invitation is given, I want you to come down to this altar. And if you've got somebody in your life that you know is apart from Christ Jesus, I want you to come pray for them. Now, if you're physically not able to, just pray where you are. I'm not trying to put a hardship on you because I know some of you have difficulty walking and stuff. But, but as many as can come, I want you to come. And if there's anybody in your life that needs to know Jesus Christ, I want you to pray for them because the time is short. The time is short. Only God knows how long. But the time is short, and it's coming. Look, it's not something that I think is going to happen. It's what I know is going to happen because the Bible is true. Do you feel that sense of burden for your loved ones and friends? And the last thing we notice in verse 27, it says that Daniel rose up and did the king's business. Now, that's interesting to me. Who's the king at this point? Belshazzar, right? That's how the... Now, when Belshazzar calls him in, he acts like he doesn't know Daniel. So, obviously, Daniel's in some lower echelon. He's not in an exalted position like Nebuchadnezzar had him. He's put Daniel off doing something else. Now, why is this significant? Well, Daniel, remember what Daniel has seen? He was by the banks of the Uli, and he saw that the Babylonian Empire is over, Right? There's going to be a new king in town, the Persian Empire. That's why there's no reference to Babylon in this vision. It's all about the Medes and the Persians. Now, Daniel could have taken the attitude of this. Well, God's done with Babylon anyway. I'm not going to do anything else for Belshazzar. And we know from our reading of Scripture, he was not a good guy anyway. But it says he rose up and did the king's business. So I believe that tells me that even though we can know, the Bible says, when the coming of Christ is so near it's at the door, we're not just going to sit around and look at the sky. We need to be about the Father's business. And I gave you a reference here in Luke uh, chapter 19, verse 13. Jesus told a parable, and in that parable, he says, occupy. That, that word in English means do business. He says, occupy until I come. Until Jesus Christ comes, we are to be about the Father's business. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your family. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, reverence your husbands. Submit to them as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's the first uh, promise, first commandment with a promise. Kids, you want to live a long life? Be kind and respect your parents. The Bible says that you'll, your days will be, be prolonged upon the earth if you're kind to your parents. Employers, treat your employees with kindness. Employees, give your employers an honest day's work. Y'all are getting quiet on me. Do what God has called you to do. Be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus said this statement, and I, I'm going to leave you with this. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. The night is coming when no man can work. Would you stand? If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the sand in the hourglass is running out. You don't know when your number will be up. None of us are getting any younger. The world is a dangerous place. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus Christ died for you and for me. He died the cruelest, most inhumane death imaginable upon a cross. He bled. 
He died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. And the Bible says if you put your trust in him, you will never be put to shame. You'll never be confounded. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. But if you put your trust in him, you'll never be ashamed. And when that terrible time comes that the Bible predicts, you and I will not be in torment. We will be comforted in the presence of God. Would you come? As many as can come pray, come pray.